Hello, welcome to Dance Plane, a podcast where each week I sit down with one of my favourite people in the fashion world, ask them how they got started in the industry, what they're loving at the moment, and what the worst outfit they've worn is. You can find us on all social media platforms at Dance Planning Pod, give us feedback of what you loved, what you couldn't stand, and who you'd love to see on the pod in the future. Uh, we record bonus content from audience questions, our guest favourite spots in London, and stories that are slightly too juicy for the main pod. For this month only, we are releasing our Patreon episodes for free, so you can have a taster of what will be behind the paywall. And if you like what you hear, you want to support us on this journey, we have a whole host of other things going on from giveaways, competitions, and a bunch of extra content. So on this journey, I should be joined by Matthew and Jordan. Are you going to say hello? Hey, Danny. Yeah, thanks for bringing us along. <laughs> So the boys have been with me from the start, since PAQ days. They are my close friends, my parental guardians. So this week we are joined by the founder of the Queer Bible, model, and self-proclaimed pioneer of many things, although most importantly he's best friends with uh, my celeb crush, Alex Chung. In this pod we covered the heady, heady days of indie sleaze, partying with Katy Perry, and Harry Styles not returning his calls, along with the most embarrassing trends it's been a part of, what I'm at clothing he'd save, and what he'd wear in the metaverse. Enjoy. You didn't say who it was. Jack Guinness. Hey. <laughs> I won't keep it like that. Yeah. <laughs> New to this. <laughs> so I've known you for many years, obviously, through the fashion scene, but never met you until kind of recently, I guess. Uh, I was at your... You did a collaboration with Ami? Yeah, that? I did a collaboration for the launch of my book, The Queer Bible Book. Yeah. I collaborated with a brilliant French brand, Ami, and we had basically a massive drag party. It yeah. was a really fun night. We had taste from RuPaul's Drag Race. We had indeed. readings from the book. It was fun. It was a gay old time. <laughs> it, was, it was great, and it was um, a very heavy night. Fun nonetheless, and I remember catching your eye, we kind of had like a, a nod. Well, do you know what, that event, it was really weird, so I'm really good at going to events for other people, but yeah. having my own book launch, it was a nightmare, it was like being married, it was so overwhelming, <laughs> with everyone there for me, and I was wearing these amazing Louboutin platform boots, Yeah. and I had to get assisted walking up the stairs, Yeah. so my agent, every now and then I'd go and I'd be like, I need a breather, I need a breather, and he'd take me up and I'd go into a little room and I'd just hyperventilate by myself for five minutes. How often did you do that? About ten times. <laughs> it's only a half an hour event. I know. So how did it all come about? You described your family in two parts. You had the vicar side and the brewery side. Yes. So Guinness is part of the yeah, Guinness. Yeah, so, so my last name's Guinness. So my great, great, great granddad, I think four or five, was Arthur Guinness, the guy that signs the beer cans, um, which is Still hilarious. Still doing it. Well, they, what they did, I think they probably cut his hand off. Yeah. And then they've just sellotaped a Bic Biro to it. And then they just get, they school it out themselves. So... My dad's a vicar, all my uncles are vicars, my granddad's a vicar, all his brothers are vicars, and every man in my family was a vicar going back four generations. So I've got a really boozy bit of me, and I've got a really (laughs) religious bit of me, and I think that kind of sums me up. I've got, you know, slightly spiritual zen, nice side, but then also... As you know, I like a night out. <laughs> so were you expected to be a vicar then? Well, I think I had a funny moment when I was a teenager where I was thinking I was going to become a monk. But I think that's just because I was gay and I got confused. You love the hairdo. That's the one bit I don't like. And um, that's the opposite of what I want. Unless you have the mullet going down as well and you just have the circle out. Well, it's funny you say that I, I did used to have a mullet. We're going to be talking about trends that you I did. participated in. But when I was a teenager, I used to cut my own hair and I'd shave the sides and I used to go to Tony and Guy to the academy and you'd have you'd get a free haircut, but you'd have to sit there for eight hours. I had it shaved on the sides. I had go faster stripes down the side. Nice. I had a Mohican. What, shaved or coloured? Like shaved and shaved in like zh- yeah. zh- to the skin. And then I had rat tails down the back. Oh, good Lord. 
It was great. So how, how old were you? I was like 15. I grew up in central London. Times are wild. Yeah. You could have, you're allowed to be feral. Yeah, I was feral. I was yeah, very yeah. feral. We were like, we were setting fire to oil drums and <laughs> basically picture like, you know, Oliver Twist vibes. Yeah. I, was, I fell in with a bad crowd of pickpocketers. <laughs> and your so vicar you, career was over. It's done. It's done. You guys were the original Asbos then. Yeah, we were. I've actually, yeah, I've got a friend. She's Northern and she's got, um, she's got loads of Asbos. And because uh, she loves how posh I am and she likes shocking me. And um, she once said to me, she went, I've got an Asper. And I, I went, yeah. And I went, what happened? And she went, well, I was in a chip shop and I won't tell you what happened, but I got hogtied by police. <laughs> and I went, what's getting hogtied? And she's like, well, they tie your hands behind your back and then they tie your legs together and they carried me out like a handbag. And I went, and I, I'm quite smart. So I was like, I'm not going to mention her name, but I was like, why did they tie your legs together? And she went, oh, you got me. I was kicking police. <laughs> I don't condone violence, but it was a very funny story. So yeah, I've got mates with that. Oh, yeah, two fish got battered. <laughs> oh, Danny. <laughs> oh, gosh. So where in central London were you growing up to move on swiftly? Yeah, thank you so much for rescuing me from Danny's dad jokes. <laughs> so I grew up in Brixton and I didn't realise, like, it was, we basically grew up in quite a small flat, and, but it was his own one, which is great. And then we moved from there to Belgravia. Wow. So when I was 10, I we moved to like the poshest bit of London. And I so could that's see... where communal money goes. That's where what? Communal money goes. Communal, yeah, sorry. <laughs> don't donate to the church. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I could see Buckingham Palace out of my bedroom window, which was mad. So I went from basically a council estate to there. So it's pretty, pretty weird. And that's why when I get drunk, my voice gets really South London. Do you drink Guinness? Yeah, I do. I do. It's better in Ireland. Yeah. Because they get it off the River Liffey. The water's better. And I always say to people, if you don't like Guinness, go to Dublin, try it there, where it's great, and yeah. then come back here and have the rubbish version. So the water is not just Guinness? It's not just stick a cup into the river? No. Ah, oh, not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Do you know stuff. which country drinks the most Guinness in the world? Jamaica. It's Nigeria. I was going to say, where was it? It's... I just said it's Nigeria. <laughs> Sorry, I was, I was thinking um, it's, it's Foster's. So everyone associates with Australia, and apparently they hate it over there. They say, why the fuck do you think we ship it all to you lot? Yeah, and apparently, it, I don't even think, is it an Australian brand? I don't even know if it is. It's just the branding. Yeah. I think so. So growing up, obviously in the conservative household, how were you dressing at the time? Well, it, was, I, it wasn't conservative, it was religious. Religious, they were, you know, My dad was quite a cool vicar. Um, and Define cool vicar. Kind of like really community orientated, really fun. We grew up like, I didn't know who was related to me, who wasn't related to me. It was a really diverse church with loads of different cultures. My dad's had a mad life. Yeah. In the 70s, he's got like a moustache and he's six foot five and he's got bright blue eyes and he speaks like this. He say, oh, Danny, it is extraordinary to meet you. You are A1 cool. <laughs> and he tells great stories about like, he'll say, oh, there's Jack, the 70s were heady, heady days. He'll say, I was walking along the King's Road and I went into a, a shop and there were two serving girls there working there and they were both naked as the day they were born. And they'll say, heady, and he's so sweet and naive. And he'll say things like, I was at a Beatles concert and there was a couple lying in front of me making sweet, sweet love to one another. And I'd be like, Dad, they were shagging in the mud. Like, it's not. He's got such rose-tinted glasses about everything. How was I dressing? That was the question. Uh, we got sidetracked talking about cool vicars. Um, I, was, I was kind of quite like a 90s look 
quite grungy. I used to wear like Pepe jeans, like purple Pepe jeans with like a red like print on them. I used to wear DMs. I nice. fired all my godparents when I was a kid and I wrote them. I didn't remember this. My mom told me I wrote them a letter saying that their services were no longer required because I just thought they Very were rubbish. You. And I picked cool new godparents. And one of the godparents I picked was, uh, was a girl that was just having a bit of a tough time. And um, she was a bit of a hippie and she was up to all sorts. <laughs> and she used to take me out with her mates down the King's Road when it was more like hippie and not posh. Yeah. And she used to give me her hand-me-downs. So when I was about 13, I started wearing yellow, bright yellow DMs. And that was kind of my look, boots, like proper, yeah. like high boots. So I had that kind of grungy punk look. And then obviously we've we've covered my mullet phase. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was that. It was It's funny now that I'm known for wearing like tailoring and stuff. Yeah. All my real old friends are like, you're a scumbag. You know? <laughs> like, and I love a beautiful tailored suit, but that's like a different side of me. I think naturally I'm... I'm more of like a, this whole indie sleaze things come back. And like at heart, I am like a sleazy indie guy. I've been loving that. Yeah, it's been really fascinating because I think everyone needs to go through a wild phase to get to where they are. And I think you have to experiment with a lot of things when you're younger. And when people are stifled, that's when they hit the regret phase later on, which is a lot more deep. Like it's fun when you're a kid. Well, you need to make mistakes. And, and the time yeah. to do it is when you're younger. It's sad to make mistakes when you're in your 20s and 30s or late 20s and 30s. Then you're just a loser. Um, but going back to that, I, I just remembered my dad used to let me go through his old wardrobe of 70s stuff. So I definitely, I went through a phase of wearing like flared cords and stuff. Nice. And it's, it's great if you have parents that do have a wardrobe that you can ransack. Yeah. I didn't anticipate that if I had kids, they might want to go through my old Carhartt class. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I love how all that stuff's coming back. And I remember my mum saying she regrets getting rid of all her 70s stuff. But I think at the time, maybe you don't, when you are dressing crazy, you don't really realise that it's going to come back round again. With that, you kind of went from fathers to daddies, obviously, hanging around. <laughs> Great transition. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So I went from the, from the Church of England to gay bars. That was so eloquent, eloquently put, Daddy. Thank you very much. So how were you kind of dressing when you were going out, like, around pubs and bars? Yeah. Um, I think more of the same. More like, it was at the time when all my friends were in bands. East London was really, like, kicking off. I just moved to... You can name drop. Oh, yes, it was like it was like block party and the klaxons. And all my friends were working at Vice, which had just started. And so they had that old Blue Last pub. So everyone would play gigs and then we'd have parties. And then one of the guys that worked at Vice, him and his wife lived in the um, flat. God, I'm just remembering all this. They lived in the flat above the old Blue Last. So the whole place was basically a massive private party. And it was, I mean, to quote my father, they were heady, heady days. <laughs> <laughs> And we're talking skinny jeans, uh, battered convert, or the five yes. pound plimsolls. Yes, that was it. It was, it was your long line t-shirts. No, no, I, no, I never wore that. What was, I thought you had it on the most recent photo. Well, it's more distressed neck, I guess, like the Russell Brand esque. Yeah, but no, but it, this is the thing. When I look back, I still maintain that when you look at tragic people that were maybe taking it a bit too far, even when there was like a trend like that, I was still, I maintain I was getting it right. Yeah. And then there's, then there's the loser extreme version of whatever look you were doing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So like, I remember being at school and my mates were into like Blink-182 and I, yeah, I wasn't into that kind of stuff. I was into like proper music. And Such I was, as? Um, like, well, like I ran away saying? to New York when I was about 17, 18 and spent a whole summer there. And that was during the whole Electro Clash time with like Fisher Spooner and like 
great amazing dance music mm. um but but like and there was a, there was an intersection it was like when chloe sevigny was going out and there was an intersection between rock music like black rebel motorcycle club and bands like oh, that yeah. and then like the gay dance scene and ev all those people went to the same places there wasn't like a break between queer what well, it was just gay nightlife then that's what it was called and then the rock everyone kind of mixed together and that's why i think it was so so exciting and the fashion everyone wore the same stuff and was that like lower east side then I that was it. that was lower east side and the very very beginning of uh of going out in brooklyn so there was a club called lux where everyone used to go and there'd just be movie stars and rock kids and everyone was just like kind of in together i remember a guy that was in are weapons which was a mad band and he ran out after me up the street and he was like dude you have to join my band <laughs> and i was like why and he went you're the perfect height. <laughs> and that sums up just how stupid that era was. Can you play anything? No, but like, I don't think any of them could either. What's your thoughts on Indie Sleaze coming back then? Oh, and what do you think the name Indie Sleaze? Like? Well, that's the thing, that's American. It was, we, that's not a British thing, Indie Sleaze. It's definitely an American person that has the account. I think the scary thing about Indie Sleaze is just how old it's making us all feel. And I've had a lot of yeah. conversations with my mates that still think of themselves as really young. But when a trend comes around that you took part in, you're like, oh, enough time must have passed now for that to be retro. And the idea of being part of something that is now retro is giving a lot of my friends yeah. anxiety and mental breakdowns. Well, even for me, I'm 24 years old and... Same. <laughs> That's not a joke. Why is everyone laughing? <laughs> Go on, Danny, you're 24. Uh, so I'm 24 and I guess the indie movement was almost my intro to the first thing that was happening at the time like my mum was a mod my aunt and uncle punks I'm sure on this podcast you're going to hear that a fucking million times like my only claim to whatever um, it's not fame you know what I mean <laughs> um, so I was kind of dressing mod but obviously that was decades gone but for me I remember watching stuff like Freshly Squeezed yeah so I remember watching Freshly Squeezed and like T4 and I think that's kind of you're already shopping at Top Man and River Island and I think that's when it started to come in where it was like the cribs the vaccines um, and it'd be more your blue and white striped t-shirts, your skinny jeans and your converse. I think that was the first subculture of my age that we kind of hit. It was we... a scene that you went through. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so then... We're old enough to drink her out, but... Well, you should have done. So the, <laughs> then the slogan t-shirts would have been like, started with Henry Holland and then they would have gone yeah. through into the shops. And like, that's a really interesting point that you're making that kids then were we didn't have social media in the same way so if you wanted to connect to this to a scene it would be like you'd be seeing like alexa on tv and then you'd yeah. know that she was going out with turner and then yeah you'd see the clothes that they're wearing and then you'd go and buy your version of that yeah and that that way of culture kind of um translating out throughout the kind of country and then the, like myspace and then and then facebook it's a really interesting time and like all some of my mates that are a bit more nerdy and into music would they'd go on the message boards like if they're in yeah. the liberty into the libertines or later like people like the vaccines it would be the message board culture and then putting up pictures where you'd see how to get the look from the band that you yeah. loved but answer me this do you think there is a scene now for kids to interact with that's that's happening out there so like in in london before you could find out what was going on. There'd be certain club nights that you'd go to yeah. and you'd see the cool crowd and you'd make friends with them and then you'd know that they were going to like trash on another night. There was like a scene in London and then in Leeds and all these different places around, you had similar scenes. Is it, does that exist anymore? Do kids get uh, that or not? We had the basement. There was such a, a style. It was 
very much like your comedy gas and play, like the, the hearts converse. Even like old school vans, you'd have your Dickies work pants and a Supreme t-shirt. It's very like Tyler the Creator influenced and whatever and just things from everywhere and it started to get to high fashion. I think from there people are posting events and what's coming up and it would be your gigs and it would be people posting, I'm off to Amsterdam, where's the best places to check out? And because you know you're in the basement and you'd know you're all roughly into the same kind of things, you could start to recognise people on a night out and recognise their style and be like, oh, I know that you're, like, are you basement fam? They'd be like, yeah, I'm part of the basement fam. And it'd be like, hey, instant bond. I think it's slightly different though, like, um, you know, growing up, being part of that indie scene, but then also like, you know, being part of the basement. I feel like that basement is like community based, whereas like yeah. the indie scene for me, it was a lot more subculture because what you yeah. what you'd do, I could see you walking down the street, see what you're wearing, and I'm going to assume I know what kind of films you like, yes. uh, your political standings, yes. um, you know, like, and then I'd see you at, say, Trash or Coco or yeah. wherever. Whereas with the basement, it's all because of the internet. It's basically the basement is cool. Yes. And that is now the, cult, the that community's built of, co- of coolness. It's a bit more broad in regards to like, they'll be listening to, say, XXX um, or like, yeah. you know, or, a lot of Travis, or Scott, Travis Scott. Travis Rocky. But then, you know, there might be there's other little Ricky? parts parts that are popping up around it. Whereas this was yeah. very much like you could see someone and know everything about I them. really like what you're saying that. And I think maybe now the thing with the internet is if you're just seeing an image on someone's Instagram, you're maybe taking the look, yeah. but without the culture that goes behind it and necessarily the values that go behind it. And that's such a good point because we were in line with everything. Like, and it, they were, you, you knew what kind of humour they liked. You knew they liked the mighty boosh. Like, it was it was all that stuff surrounding it. And now it's like people are just taking the look, but maybe without the culture and the heritage that surround it and go behind it. I'd also, I'm interested, like, when I was a teenager, we were all wearing vintage clothes and stuff that we bought in, like, Camden or yeah. something I found in the street. Or something someone left at your house after a party. <laughs> and the amount of money that kids spend now, it's I'm ridiculous. blown away by it. That's maybe what I'm getting. I might have a romanticised idea of what that scene, the indie sleaze scene was like. But it felt like we were all just like kids that were just like, didn't, didn't really know what we were doing and didn't have much cash. And it was like everyone was just getting on with it and just like, but in a quite unself-aware way. And it feels maybe that the... There's something. There's a different feeling. Maybe I'm, I'm romanticizing Almost it. A the bit. clothes were secondary in a way. Yeah, they were. So you didn't even realize you were, you weren't dressing like that to dress like that. It just kind of happened circumstantially. Exactly. And what was that? Is there what was that indie song that goes? I've had the same jeans on. The view. Yeah, the view. We were like, I've had the same jeans on for four years, <laughs> like not three days. What are you on about? A look was secondary to your lifestyle. The lifestyle was the first thing. And then you look that certain way because of the world you were in. Yeah. There is a weird parallel though, I, I find between like that era and this, the, the kids now in the sense of like, we were there and anybody could do anything. Like you had these kids who just had a point and shoot camera and all of a sudden they were a photographer and they didn't know what they were doing. And like, oh, you had yeah. these kids like models who didn't look like models and because their mate was this photographer and they, and I, mean, I think that, there's that was a thing, me. more like it kids. There is a thing happening now though, like where kids are just going, oh, do you know what? I'm going to YouTube how to be a photographer and I'm going to go be a photographer. And that's not, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing at all. Like, no, no, what we're getting at here is the democratization of, of access really. So that's a really lovely comparison. So I, I was in that scene where there was a really amazing photographer called Ben Reimer 
Ben Rayner? Ben Rayner. Ben Rayner. Ben Rayner. No, ben Rayner. Yeah. Yes. So we used to call it the Ben School of Photography, where you'd pick up a Yashica with a flash, you'd point it vaguely in the right direction, and you'd push <laughs> click, and you'd be like, oh my God, I'm the best photographer in the world. And then you'd get a shoot in Vice, and then lots of my mates that were photographers then started making music videos for people like Simeon Mobile Disco and the Claxons and Florence and the Machine. And then I'd be sat around on a couch and someone would go, Jack, do you want to be in a video? And I'd go, yeah, whatever, point me, where do I go? And I'd just <laughs> do it. And I like the idea that that's happening now with stuff like TikTok and YouTube, where people can just be like, no, do you know what? I've got access to this and I'm going to go for it and do it. And yeah. so then maybe it's quite cool. Maybe there's a, a cool parallel and actually technology is access, giving people access yeah. to this. And maybe the old gatekeepers that used to be in control of everything are falling away. And that's, that is a good thing. How did you fall in with that crowd then? Um, so I moved after I graduated from uni, I moved to East London and I moved into the building on uh, on Old Street Roundabout, and it was who oh. I lived with. And I, then I just moved from flat to flat to flat, and then we ended up having so a- Surf surfing, I'll actually move in. Well, this is funny you should say that. So I thought I lived places. Yeah. And I've, I was talking to a mate the other day, and, and she was like, you didn't have a bedroom. And I was like, what? And she was like, you lived in the sitting room on a mattress. And I was like, so did I not live with you guys? And they were like, no, you, you were just you a weird, weirdo guy on, living on a sofa. <laughs> And then I, we lived on a, in a massive warehouse in Redchurch Street. And in the basement, there was a production company that did loads of amazing music videos. And I'd, I'd be in loads of them. What year are we talking? Like 2006, 7, 8. Yeah. And then we had the flat on, we had a whole warehouse on the top. And we just used to have massive parties. And I remember we had a party and the police came and they knocked on the door and they opened the door and they were like, this is the in? best party we've ever seen. And they came in. <laughs> no yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and, and then, like, on that street now, Redshirt Street, there's... Do you wear police officers, not strippers? No, well, I mean, that's another story. Um, but no, those guys, we are real, those guys are real police <laughs> As I'm telling all these stories, I'm like, okay, you can tell that one. But you can't <laughs> I'm tell say, that one. Your agent's going to have a field day with Yeah, so. never mind. So you've, like, just by being friends with them and you've seen these guys come up, people like, you know, Alexa Chung yeah. and, like, Pixie Geldof, but, like, East London was popping and people were coming there. Big name drop. Who was the best person that sort of turned up at one of your parties? Okay. 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 So uh, we had a warehouse in that I lived in and we had a bar in it called Jack's Bar and we used to have crazy parties. Like, And, and, and I, I went all out. Like for our Halloween party one time, I remember putting bin bags over every single wall and the ceiling. <laughs> so it just looked like a weird, like fetish club. And I used to go, and I used to build stages out of pallet boxes no and we'd way. have performances. And one time, <laughs> one time Katy Perry came to our house and there were like a hundred paps outside the house. Yeah. And there were pictures of her going in looking really, really beautiful. Yeah. And then she came out looking like she'd been pulled through a hedge. <laughs> and then so it was... Looking like she'd been hogtied in a fish and chip shop. Well, yeah, and carried out like a handbag. <laughs> and then one of my mates printed up... Um, they, well, he was going to print up T-shirts. But he, what did he print? He printed up something and it was before and after Jack's bar. And it was just a picture of Katy Perry going in and out. So that's, that's one we had. Cool. So you're partying, you're cool kid in East London, indie <laughs> dies... Damn it! What? <laughs> you lost all your credibility. No, what happened next? Lost all my credibility. I didn't have any to start with. That's when I pivoted to suiting and tailoring. Was well, straight from Indie Sleeves of suiting? Yeah, I did. Where were you working at the time when you were doing this? I didn't really if anywhere. have a job. Yeah, I did. Like modeling and yeah, I was modeling. I yeah. was modeling. I was modeling, and it was when so 
I had long hair and a beard and there was one other model. I've got short hair now, but I had really long hair. And there was one other model called Patrick Petitjean. And he lived in the woods somewhere in France. And if they wanted him, they had to send an agent to drive up the mountain and get him. (laughs) And he was like, he's a stunning, beautiful man, but like, a woodsman. Yeah. So if you wanted a model with long hair and a beard, it was me. Or you had to get in a car, drive up a mountain, yeah. get Patrick Pettigrew to stop chopping wood, <laughs> pop him in the car and drive him back. That sounds like a tongue twister. So I used to get booked lots. And so I worked pretty constantly. I mean, I worked really constantly. It was, it was, it was, I was traveling all around Europe and it was, it was an amazing time. But then I started tying my hair up. I don't do I want to admit to boy? this. So Grazia, you know, they've got the chart of lust. It was a very <laughs> proud moment. I was in it. And they said that I'd created a new haircut called the Mun. Oh. And it was the, the man bun. Good luck. So, you know, those it's cr- your you know the, it is. It is. <laughs> and, I've, and all my friends take the piss oh. out of me because they think I'm so... Basically, I, I always think I started everything. And they're like, you didn't start it. So I claim that I started long hair and a beard. And they're like, Jesus, Che Guevara, <laughs> you, you definitely didn't. I'm like, no, I did. Another thing I think I started was I think I came that I popularised... <laughs> Here we go. The Jaeger bomb. Yeah, I maintain that no one... I started drinking them and then everyone started drinking them. But this is the kind of... This is an insight into my brain. Like, yeah. It's not, a, it's not a well played. But that sort of sartorial side, I suppose that coincided with like the Tumblr era, like the hashtag menswear. Yes. Um, pity, jacket required. Yes. That kind of stuff. So, so I, what happened was I had loads of vintage suits and I started wearing vintage suits and then brands started... What for? So I'd, I'd, I'd just wear them out. I'd just wear them out. And I loved... I had loads of amazing 60s and 70s suits. Was there any inspiration behind it? No, I don't really know what it was. And I'd wear them with a vest and loads of jewellery. And I just, I loved wearing them. I think maybe I was tired of wearing the same jeans for four years. Yeah. And also because I didn't have a job, like a proper one, I never got to dress up. I never had anything to dress up for. So I think yeah. I started wearing them because I wanted to, not because I had to. And that felt like quite... Quite similar in that, that sense. Quite fun to me, yeah. And um, so I, I started wearing those. And then brands, I think one of the first brands that offered to dress me was... Uh, Alexander McQueen. Wow. Yeah. And so I've, and I'm too big for it now, but I have this incredible kind of velvet. I think I'm too famous. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely, that's not a problem at all, Danny. That's nothing I've ever said. Um, but it's a beautiful suit. And then, and then I started working loads with Savile Row brands and stuff. And that kind of took off. And so that's why all my friends that knew me in the, you know, what we've spent the whole time talking about find it so funny because they're like, you're a scumbag and I'll look at you wearing this really expensive borrowed suit. But I've always loved tailoring. It's, it's, I think it's good to have a mix. And so maybe going back to that thing of the, the vicar and then also the, the beer, the brewer side, I've got that in me that I like. There's a bit of me that likes to be all like rock and roll and then there's another bit that likes to get all spiffy with spats. Yeah, business in the front part in the back kind of thing. I mean, that, put that on my gravestone. There you go. <laughs> I'm assuming, uh, talking about business front part in the back, if we're going to go, what is the worst yeah. trend you've ever partaken in we're going with that haircut okay no no I'm proud of my mullet haircut I'm proud of my Tony and Guy mullet haircut and also I forgot to tell you I dyed it blue black as well Schwarzkopf blue black which is really 90s Um, I think the worst I was at my parents the other day and I found a pair of Adidas weird Japanese boxing boots I think that's probably the worst thing (laughs) I've ever done yeah and I used to wear them with like ripped up stonewashed jeans and I think I maybe even once tucked the jeans into the top of them oh my god that's the thing very Freddie Mercury no it was can you explain that look what was it it was 
It, do you know what they had at the same time? And the is box, it what I just Kurji in? You know the no, the boxing boots came afterwards, but the first ones were like the Adidas flat sort of martial arts trainers. That was it. Yeah, I had Balenciaga, those as well. The Balenciaga have done a version. Yes. Oh my god. So the I, Lonsdales. I, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I had a lot of that. It was very Japanese influenced, and I and I had some of those martial arts. I had ones with like a weird Velcro thing that that were that were camouflage that had a strip across. That was really that hasn't quite come back yet. People aren't yeah. people aren't that desperate. But <laughs> it, it, yeah, that was a vibe. That was a vibe. If but it comes back, we can say that you pioneered that. There you go. That and the man. What was that transition to where you are now as founding uh, Queer Bible? Yes. Um, you know, mentoring young sartorial. Hello. Young I, men uh, of this. I regret that. <laughs> how, how did you go from uh, almost ruining Katy Perry's career to that? So I, I, what was really interesting, so I, I spent 10, 15 years basically selling stuff. But there was a point when I wanted to do something that had more meaning to it. And I'd come to East London to kind of discover myself, find my tribe. And I, I really got into going to all the amazing gay venues around here. And I, was st- I started DJing there. So then... When I was looking for something of more meaning, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to the queer community and I'm going to go back to that. And so I founded the Queer Bible, which was started life as a website where I asked my favorite people to write an essay about someone that they loved. And because I didn't want to get sued, I didn't use photographs. I got illustrators to do illustrations of everyone. And that accidentally created a really unique look for the website and then out of that um i did a book and that was incredible so it's a really beautiful illustrated book called the queer bible and i was a very lucky that after all my years of swanning about talking to celebrities at parties <laughs> i had quite good access to people so i was able yeah. to get elton john in there graham norton russell tovey and then mix them up with activists like Lady Phil who founded UK Black Pride so it's a real mix of of our community and when I released that book it was really good because it was like all these years of me fanning about going out in town meeting people and learning how to sell stuff learning how to package things learning how to make things editorial learning how to make things press worthy get the press interested in it I was able to package all of that experience together and do something of real meaning that I really believe in and so the queer bible is editorial it is beautiful there is a bit of celebrity in there but it's also stories of meaning uh putting other people not myself front and center and now I'm like no do you know what I'm setting back now and I'm letting other people go forward and I'm really enjoying telling their stories and funny enough we've just recorded the Queer Bible podcast so that's coming out so subscribe to that Um, that it's out soon we haven't got a definite date but I've got some incredible people on there I've got like Russell T Davis who did It's a Sin Um, and it's a real mix of people and it's really funny it's really moving and it's very intellectual just like your podcast (laughs) Speaking of which, uh, so when you said about Graham Norton, his, his uh, like a quote in your book was um, he didn't want to tell anyone. He didn't want to come out as gay. He said it would like burden people. Well, it's very funny what he said. So Graham Norton said that he, I won't do the accent. Yeah, I'll do the accent. Go the accent I'm yeah. Irish, so I can do it. There you go. Um, he was saying that he was like, um, being gay is a, like, you can't be gay by yourself. You need someone else to be gay with. So there was no point in coming out as homosexual if I was just going to be watching television alone, a homosexual, or riding around <laughs> the village on my bicycle, homosexual. It's really funny. And so then that's why he went off to San Francisco. 
And I think that's a universal thing. It's not just for LGBTQ plus people, it's for everyone. When you realize who you are and you realize that maybe you're different from your family or maybe different from your friends from home, you need to go and find your tribe. And that's what we've been talking about with fashion and with music. You need to go where the people like you are. And when you find people that are like you and you see yourself reflected back in them, it's the most empowering, amazing thing. Definitely. And that's how you learn kind of who you are and who your chosen people are. And so for me, with my work with the Queer Bible, it's about speeding up that process. If there's a kid that's LGBTQ+, growing up in some village and they don't know anyone like them, they can go on the website, they can read the book, they can listen to the podcast soon. And they can realise that not only are they not alone, but the most beautiful, fabulous, amazing, funniest, cleverest people to walk the face of the planet are in their tribe. And that's their new chosen family. Do you feel like the internet's kind of... Not ruined that, but it was so magical to find someone who's just like yourself in the real world. But now it's so easily accessible. You can just sit in your bedroom and kind of connect. I think it's a double-edged sword. I would say it's only a positive thing for people to realise that they're not alone. Like, when I realised I was gay, I literally thought I was the first, again, <laughs> me thinking I'm the first person. I was like, I'm the first gay that's ever existed. <laughs> but it can really it can really fuck you up. And it can yeah. be really traumatising and difficult. So I think it's brilliant. When I see the LGBTQ community on TikTok, I think that's really good. My hesitation with it is, is don't just sit in your bedroom yeah. and, and be like, okay, I'm not alone. Actually get out there and really have real in, IRL connection yeah. with people that are like you. And it makes me really sad when I see like LGBTQ plus venues closing around London because yeah. people aren't going out there and meeting people like them. What sort of venues are there out there at the moment? The best ones. Okay, so my favourite venues in London, the Queen of Adelaide on Hackney Road. I like places where you can go with your mates but talk to other people. I'm not... that's, That's how I made my tribe. That's how I met all my friends back in the day through just like chatting to people on the dance floor and meeting people and that's one of those places where in the basement there's a dance floor and you can literally make mates and dance around I do like I'd like a dark basement <laughs> you've been banging on the basement the longest, yeah you've mate. been going on about basements <laughs> you you with your your Facebook pals I'm talking about in real life and then so that's great and then I love the glory so they do lip sync competitions um, oh they're great and, and they have a drag king competition oh which is really really cool and that's a really inclusive space where it's not like I've noticed it's gone from traditional gay bars to queer spaces yeah and i think that's really exciting to me where um you it's really inclusive and people feel really safe and i think there's been a lot of misogyny and racism and not very nice aspects to some gay venues where people don't feel welcome and they don't feel included and so i'm loving the breakdown of that but i um was a judge at the glory's lip-syncing competition and it was the funnest night of my life and they didn't realize but i'd memorized iconic lines from X Factor <laughs> and every time the microphone went to me I'd say you look like a pop star you sound like a pop star you're a pop star and I every single thing I said was that, was a, Walsh? that was Louis Walsh yeah. and every single thing I said was a famous quote and after only about three times did people start to shout out <laughs> X Factor he's doing X Factor he's doing X Factor and no one realised it was really really good and I think it's really important that people go out and support those venues because if you yeah. don't they will close and Areas are only cool because of LGBTQ plus people. We're the ones that make it cool. So if you don't support our venues, then London will just be a one, big, one big Pret-a-Manger. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've never been to um, Queen Adelaide, but I have been to a lipstick competition. And I'll tell you what, they're fantastic because it's a great middle ground between a karaoke where someone's insufferable, there's no stopping it. Whereas if you don't like the lip sync, 
you don't want to watch it, you turn around, you, you listen around, to regular music. You face the wall. You it's face perfect. the wall. It's perfect. It is the perfect middle ground to karaoke. What's your lip sync song then? Oh, I, I don't think I'd... I don't really do karaoke, but mine's always Parklife by Blair. Oh. I love the Phil Daniels accent. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. How does that one go? Confidence is a preference. Live it your way. I'm not gonna fucking. I'm not, not giving it all away. Come on, I was not in front of a real Londoner. That was yeah, that was good though. I was impressed. My... I didn't want to get too into it, otherwise I'd have gone full Cockney arms around. I'm literally what? walking cross stage. I'm I'm owning that stage. You know, I really bet you are bawling about hundred percent. I'd chuck something at you. So I underwear with, usually with karaoke. <laughs> with, <laughs> with karaoke, I think either you go, you get this indulgent karaoke singers, or you get a crowd pleaser karaoke. Yeah, I always want to do an indulgent one, but that's not what the people want. Mm. So one of my favourite ones I do is Freedom Ninety by George Michael. Nice, great tune. Because you can get them involved. And you're like Freedom, I won't let you down. And I was hosting a charity. I'm not doing it. Okay. I was hosting a charity event for Name Drop. Get ready, everyone, for Samuel L. Jackson. Hey. At, um, at Abbey Road, wow. and I got to sing Freedom with a full live band. <laughs> An orchestra. Was, I, I, I just kind of, no, it was a jazz, like a proper like yeah. jazz band, and I just kind of remember blacking out because I was so nervous, and then when I came back around, I'd finished. And I, and I, I had no idea how I'd done, but that was probably one of the funnest things I've done. So, well, going back to the Queer Bible, who yeah. would be your favourite contributor? Um, I'd love to get RuPaul in it, because uh, one of my friends recently said, like, they, they, they noticed a certain vibe with my trajectory of my so-called career and they were yeah. like is everything you're doing just to try and be a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race and it is it's a long game it's, a, yeah. it's been like 15 years in the making but I'd love RuPaul I wrote my essay in the book about RuPaul and about how RuPaul's drag weirdly was a little bit like my journey of wearing suits selling a certain type of masculinity and I was basically in drag for a lot of my career when I was not talking about being gay, when I was selling a very performative type of like I, I, rugged masculinity. I was either doing sartorial tailoring shoots or I was like the outward bound guy. And all my friends would laugh because they'd be like, you can't do any of this. You can't even ride a bike. And then in the shots, <laughs> there'd be me on a Harley Davidson and rock climbing like down a glacier in Iceland. And they'd be like, this is absolutely insane. <laughs> so in my essay, I wrote about how RuPaul found their stardom through doing drag and now is performing as RuPaul out of drag. And yeah. I, I mirrored that with my career that I went off and took this tangent, which we've covered quite quite thoroughly today, of going from indie and then into tailoring and suits and being really performatively masculine, whatever that means, and then now coming through and getting to be more myself. So, yeah. yeah. Talking about like the now, the way the queer community is able to sort of like n not have to like hide behind, you know, you're talking about... Um, George Graham Michael. Norton, George yeah. Michael. Like, yeah. You're talking about like the queer community make an area cool. And there is like a, a coolness to it now. And I, I think it is being platformed via shows like Euphoria and things like that. Like, how does that make you feel like being someone who had to grow up in, in an era where maybe you did have to hide it? I spent 10, 15 years like hating myself, suffering from crippling anxiety and depression, not wanting to be alive. Like it was bad. I, I was so unhappy. And a part of that was because I didn't feel that that part of myself was acceptable or be accepted. So I look at kids today and I'm so happy for them that they don't have to go through everything that I went through. Yeah. I'm also a bit jealous of them. But then also remember, like, we live in a, a bubble. Like, yes, on TV shows, it looks really accepted. But kids are still getting queer bashed. Trans people are getting murdered. Like, it's not safe out there for LGBTQ plus people. You can't get improvement to culture and to politics 
unless these things are happening. So there is a shift and it yeah. is amazing that I see RuPaul's Drag Race as one of the most popular shows in the world. That makes me happy, but we've got so much further to go. And I think that while we need to celebrate all the progress we've made, we, especially me as a very white privileged gay cis man, I need to remember that there are loads of members of our community that don't have all the privileges and access that I have. Yeah. And you know, before we move back into like the sort of the fashion and stuff like that, I think you know we've got an audience here that is quite young, yes. and I'd say probably more uh, heavy male, white, het, cis. What, That's great. All my best mates are. Hit me. <laughs> what can these younger people do to to, to aid these that's things? A, that's about? a great question. And like, you can't operate in today's society, especially in cool scenes, unless you are clued up and supportive of, of other people. I think we saw that in Black Lives Matter with loads of white people trying to educate themselves about this. It's about education. There's, there's no excuse now not to learn about stuff. Yes. Like when I launched the Queer Bible book, I had loads of interviews with older guys on the radio and they'd be like, so I thought we couldn't use the word queer and all this stuff. And it's like, and I'm really open to having conversations. My trans friends and my non-binary friends educate me every day. And they're so gracious and generous with talking to me about what terms I should use and how I should think about stuff. And there's so much out there. There's so much out there for people to learn about. And I would say to my straight mates, just be a really good ally. Like yeah. watch how you talk, watch about the things you say, because like you notice it with your mates like if someone starts off making a joke it's a slippery slope it's a slippery slope and I think we all need to check on each other and like if one of your mates says something that isn't cool or you think they're thinking about something in a, in a wrong way just take them away privately and have a little word yeah. with them and if you're not sure about terms and I'm not you know yeah. I had to do a whole book tour and I did so much preparation and I still made mistakes like it's it's about people's pronouns about the, using the right gender terms about using the right terms about LGBTQ plus it's different it, 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 lots of people don't know about that I don't know everything about that so I just say go out there and educate yourself and the biggest thing is if you come to people with like like a good heart yes. that is everything like I've got, I've got terms wrong sometimes and, and people know that I've got the best of intentions and I think that's it so I think just educate yourself and be really supportive because People could be having a tough time. You don't know what people are going through. So I'd just say be a good ally. And like, also, straight guys, no girls are going to want to shag you if you're homophobic or transphobic because oh, it's just not cool. <laughs> no one's expecting you to know everything about everything. Yeah. No one's going to belittle you if you say, sorry, mate, like, yeah. like how yeah. does this work? If you're curious, there's a way you go about it. And it's nice to... I do think educating yourself if you're curious, though, because oh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not in the... It's not on the person. It's not on the other. Be, yeah, like um, a sort of a minority voice to educate you as a white yeah. male. Like, and I agree with that. I will also say that my, especially my trans friends, who have the most reason to be chippy or defensive because they deal with so much abuse. Yeah, they are the most generous people out of ev everyone. So yes, it is up to you. And there are loads of resources out there. Like Stonewall is a really great charity and they've got loads of information on their website about term terminology and stuff so it's a really easy place for people to go and learn the queer bible has loads of the historical stories to learn about the contribution that lgbtq plus people have made to history and culture but also like if you've got a mate and you go there with an open heart and you're not being a twat they want to talk about it as well yeah and maybe they don't know all the answers maybe they haven't got everything and you can work it out with them as a mate and i think i think that's what it is it's about intentionality Definitely. Um, so just yeah don't be a c-u-n-t how has uh, the queer community like influenced your fashion sense now and your style? Massively. I think w f the queer community have really influenced my style in terms of when I was younger, 100%, then I slightly retreated into a slightly more traditional, like masculine 
fashion in terms of tailoring. There's nothing more traditional and yeah. straight guy looking than a suit, um, even though queer people do rock them and subvert them. Um, and now I'm loving, really inspired by kids, seeing people playing with gender and their clothes. And that doesn't matter whether they're gay or straight or, or queer or otherwise. I'm really enjoying seeing those kind of boundaries being broken down. And lots of the queer community, I heard some voices like really criticizing people like Harry Styles when he like plays around with um, with gender and stuff in his fashion. One, no one knows what it goes on in his private life. Yeah. But I think it's really cool. Say he's just a straight guy, which he is. That's really cool to see him if he's doing it. Yeah. Like, that means I can do it. And, yeah. I, and I, I really like the idea that fashion's moving to a point beyond gender. Because, look, we can get all serious about it, but fashion is stupid and silly. Like, fashion's yeah. fun, and you should have fun with it. Fashion's about laughing at yourself. It's about expressing yourself. It's about sharing who you are. And the more free people feel to, to do that, the better. And I definitely feel more free now to wear slightly more outrageous things. I'm going to the GQ-style uh, party tomorrow night, and I think I'm wearing, like, a full leather daddy look. <laughs> and I think I'm going to shave my beard off so I've just got a tash. And that's that's something I wouldn't have let... Oh, go full handlebar I, 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 as no, well. handlebar's too much. Go on. All oh, right, maybe. But, like, that's something I wouldn't have let myself do. And that's really sad yeah. that I wouldn't have let myself do that. Well, it is, like you were saying, uh, I have uh, the phrase here. It's, like, status-giving armour. For me, tailoring is status-giving armour. Like, whoever you are, whatever your gender or sexuality, you put on a suit and it makes you stand differently. Yes. It, your shoulders go back. You stand up straight, uh, unless you're doing, like, a cool, sexy pose where you're deliberately not. Yeah. But there's something really empowering about wearing tailoring, and I think people of all genders recognise that. Um, and for me, especially if I'm feeling a bit crap, I'll put on a suit and I'll feel like a different character. And that's really fun. And that's what fashion should do. Have I told you about this, Jordan? You have. So I used to, if I was like mega depressed, I was living in London and I was just staying in bed for three days at a time, completely stewing. I hadn't showered, hadn't shaved, hadn't done whatever. And then when I dragged myself out, I'd like clean my room, have a shower, have a shave. I'd put a suit on just to go to co-op. Love it. And it, it just felt like you were getting dressed up for something. But that is the power of fashion. It's the power of fashion to make you feel human. Yeah. And... I think also, like, I, we've talked a lot about this, about suffering from depression, anxiety. Number one, clean your bedroom. 100%. Clean. Clean space, clean mind. Clean space, clean mind. And then have a shave, or not, if you've got a cool beard like me. <laughs> and then put on the suit and go to the co-op. <laughs> and what, were you, what are you getting from the co-op? Ready, ready meals? I'm getting a ready meal. Yeah. Um, what individual person wears a suit better than anyone else? Oh, that's. I think Bowie wore a suit amazingly. Grace Jones, yeah, Annie Lennox wore oh, yeah. a suit brilliantly. Um, weirdly, those Never, it's a very era specific. I thing. know. I'm trying to think of now who wears a suit really well. Danny, da Danny Lomas. When go. when I saw him crying going to the co-op. <laughs> <laughs> Damn fly doing it. <laughs> You know, I think there's been like lots of red carpet moments with um sorry, there's been lots of red carpet moments with females like rocking up in like amazing suits. Power suits, isn't it? Yeah, I th I there's something very sexy about like a, a woman wearing a suit. I think it looks really Well really even great. Alexa's always worn blazers. She yeah, she does wear a blazer. She loves rocking a tuxedo as well. He lasted longer before he asked the question about it. I know, her. can I just say Danny's obsessed with Alexa. <laughs> I have fancied Alexa Chung since I was probably about 12, and that's her never coming on the podcast. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I know why I'm here. I know why I'm here. 
Anyway, so she, I'm going to not direct any Alexa Chung talk to you. Um, so yeah, so I'm turning, turning away. Yeah, so she, she's one of those women that looks brilliant in a, in a tuxedo. Everything. And, and Oh my God. And really realises the power uh, of tailoring, as we were talking about before. Stunning. Great. What's the number? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's one, two, fuck you. Oh, uh, one, two, one, do one. So, with the brands that you wear today, starting with tailoring, if we're on the subject, what are your go-to tailoring brands? Yeah, see, it's really sad that Top Man's over, because they used to do really uh, affordable tailoring. Off and it the would, peg. Off the peg. And their sizing was really good. They were great. My big advice now would be, go to Vintage Shop, find an amazing cheap suit, and if it doesn't fit exactly right, get it altered. And you can find really cheap people that do really good like alterations. 20 quid for an alteration? Yeah. If you pay... If you pay 20 quid for a suit, 20 quid for an alteration, you've got a, a tailored suit for 40 quid. Yeah, and, and then I'd say work out what silhouette you want from looking at high fashion suits yeah. and then get it altered accordingly and also do it for your body type. Yeah. I think tailoring is the most forgiving form of fashion for different body types. Um, you know, if you're a long, tall streak of piss like you, Danny... It- <laughs> Not wrong, <laughs> but 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 it, it's amazing. It really is amazing for empowering you, whatever your body shape. So I would say that go to an amazing vintage shop and ta- and and get it altered. Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, people think suits is this whole you're wearing a suit. It's an outfit. At the end of the day, it's it's a pair of trousers with a matching blazer. Underneath it, you can play with whatever. You can wear floral shirts. You can go for regular shirts with a tie. You can go vest. t-shirts, a vest, a vest. You can go anything. Polo I think neck. people pull on it. People need to not be as scared of suits. And once you start to play around with that and you start to feel good in that, you'll find what you like and what you don't like. It doesn't have to be super expensive. You can get a full suit tailored, as we say, for the same price as some uh, trousers. And my granddad used to wrap his, put brown paper behind it and fold it up and like really take care of his clothes. And I think the thing with disposable fashion is we're used to, we're educated now to think of clothes as you just wear them, take a picture on Instagram, you wear it out one night and get rid of it. Yeah. No, like... Take care of your stuff. Buy really good quality stuff. Buy well-made stuff. Take care of it, and it will take care of you. Exactly. So outside of suits, where do you shop regularly? I, I don't shop a lot. I love Ralph Lauren. What I like about it is it has something for everyone. And if, I don't know, they're just, I really like that kind of, the old school, like, New England look, that Cambridge look. Like preppy. I, I love the preppy look. Yeah. So any particular label within Ralph? Um, Purple's very, very beautiful but even like I, I i like i just like a pair of nice chinos and a nice clean t-shirt i always say to guys that if you're trying to work oh danny brilliant danny's literally wearing that if you <laughs> if you are not sure about where to start with fashion find a male style icon that you like and start copying them danny Lomas on instagram so it would be like jack guinness on instagram it would be you know like marlon brando um or steve mcqueen or yeah. whoever just or, but yeah it would be ralph lauren i love drake's Drake's um, fantastic. Yeah, they're great. Drake's. They're beautiful. So yeah, that, that that would be my big tip. You said like some style icons from like the 60s. Yeah. Who, who now should someone look at, do you think? The problem is now, so many people get styled by stylists. You're often not saying that you like that person's style. You're saying that you like that person's stylist. The stylists I love, Rose Ford is amazing. She doesn't put herself front and centre, but she dresses all the cool young actors. Um, she's brilliant. Um, Harry Lambert, who obviously does Harry Styles, yeah. he's really fun. He's like my my favorite queer stylist. But yeah, it's it, that, the era of like individual characters that like dress themselves. Like Kate Moss was cool because she 
dressed herself. Like she picked up those looks. She wasn't getting styled or told what to wear. Um, and I love those people. And I don't feel that there are that many like original, amazing people walking around nowadays. I don't know. I get I get most of my inspiration not from famous people, but from walking down the street and seeing what people are wearing. And that's yeah. why London's so good. And I'll be like, oh, I'm going to steal that and I'm going to buy that version. I heard one, once someone said that they did research on the way men and women shop and women will go, where's that dress from? And they'll buy that exact dress. And this yeah. is a massive generalization. But women will go, where's that dress from? And they'll go and buy that. Yeah. Men will go, oh, he's wearing a navy jumper. Oh, I'm going to go and find my version of that navy jumper. Yeah. And I quite, I quite like that. So what was the last thing that you thought, I need one of these? Oh, gosh, that's really Mama's pair of camion boots. Our legacy. Banging. Mm, gosh. I actually can't think. Oh, I know what. I've got some plastic trousers from Fiorucci. <laughs> Just in time for summer. Just in time for summer. Bit of talcum powder on your legs and don't stand near any radiators. Boom. Done. <laughs> and also, because I'm so hairy as well, I need to be careful near open flames. I was once, I once had a weave in because I'd been to a 70s party. Very I, was, cool. I was talking to a girl and I was chewing her ear off and she went, you are on fire. And I went, oh, thank you. And she went, no, mate, you're literally on fire. And my weave had got set on fire and I was in flames. So that's why that's done their radiators. That's why. Not PVC, it's just a, a Jack Guinness. It's a Jack Guinness. In thing. general. Like. Don't get too hot. <laughs> Speaking of being on fire, Jack Guinness, um, you stood next to a radiator for too long. You've accidentally set the house on fire. Oops. Um, you can save one item of clothing. What would it be and why? It would be the first piece of bes as a bespoke suit that I got. It's from Huntsman Savile Row. Lovely. It's like a hunting suit, like a tartan hunting suit. Tweed. It's a tweed hunting suit and it is incredible. Yeah. And it's so thick that when you put it on, you have to stand almost to attention nice. and you walk completely differently. And it fits to every contour of my body. And it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Huntsman Savile Row tweed suit. The future for Jack Guinness. What does that entail? More, Very open-ended. Yeah, no, more queer Bible stuff. More queer Bible stuff. So, what yeah, is that? So it's going to be, it's, it's all about amplifying the voices of my community and telling their stories. And I'm not fussy how I do it. So it might be documentaries. It might be short form. It might be more essays and illustrations. Podcast. The podcast is coming. It's for the queer community, but I wanted to make something that everyone can listen to and feel a part of. Yeah. And it's the perfect sweet spot of funny and and information and history. It's a really simple premise. I basically ask my, my peeps for the three moments, the cultural moments that made them realize who they are. Yeah. So it could be like a song, it could be a first club night they what went to, it could be a movie. Definitely Elton John and RuPaul, that yeah. was a big moment. Going gay clubbing for the first time and being in a room full of thousands of people that were just like me. Thousands? Yeah. It was, was it amazement? It, <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> it was at the venue, the old GAY that was at the Astoria Theatre that's got knocked down. That was amazing. And then um, probably watching the documentary Paris is Burning about the, the drag ball scene in New York. That was a big light bulb moment for me. Um, so yeah, those are my, basically I've just done my own podcast in two minutes. <laughs> shit, shit. <laughs> yeah, don't bother listening to my podcast. Just, just listen to that. What's the best free thing you've ever got? Oh... My friends hate me. Do you know what? The way I get a around my friends hating me for getting free stuff is I'm very generous. Yeah. So I've got like a library and if you've got like a wedding or a funeral, you come to me and I'll kick you out. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think the suits, my suit collection is pretty sick. How I've, many have you got? I've no idea. I've got a lot. Maybe 
50 or 60. Wow. But I walked for Dolce & Gabbana a few years ago. I did it a couple of times. And I've got a couple of handmade Dolce & Gabbana suits. And they are incredible. Dunhill too. Dunhill's fantastic. Dunhill, yeah, Dunhill. I've got some. I've got a beautiful Dunhill suit. Yeah. What are some of the brands that are exciting you up and coming, or maybe you'd wear in the future? Yeah, there are a few. I'm very excited by by the kids. Um, <laughs> Ernest, God, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Young designers. Um, Ernest W. Baker is amazing. Botta Paris is great. Egon Lab. G. I only know it on Instagram. Is it GmbH? GmbH. Oh yeah. yeah. I love that kind of like. Berlin clubwear stuff. Yeah. Sort of leathery stuff. Zips everywhere, front to back. Bergheim-esque. Um, Bergheim-esque, which is really good. I've had a few good nights in there. Um, so is Matt Brown. <laughs> oh, handsome Matt. Handsome Matt. <laughs> Look at that. I, I wish you could see the kind of knowing cheeky <laughs> the redness that he's got yeah, the, the quiet look the glazed over look in his eyes he's remembering he's having flashbacks come back to us come back to us still stinks of piss you know? <laughs> nine <laughs> nine and climbing um yeah so i i i'm loving i'm loving the way fashion's going at the moment i think it's really exciting um daniel fletcher i yeah. love him he's an old pal and i've i've watched him go from kind of graduating through and i'm very proud of him and he's he's with fiorucci now and his own label daniel fletcher's daniel w fletcher is it daniel w. W. daniel w fletcher i think that's the first time i proper met you it's me you raven and daniel in the taxi on the way to um strand Pretty sure it was. Yeah, a party. A, a party. Is it a party? Yeah, that's how I was like me. Was I wearing borrowed clothes in a taxi? I think it was. I think <laughs> we it was were after plastic your... pants. Was I wearing plastic pants, staying away from it was radiators? After your own yeah, that party. was me. Oh, was it? It was after your own party. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that was great. That was great. Um, that was the night I was wearing the Louboutins where I couldn't walk. Yeah. So yeah. The, the future of fashion is looking bright. It is. What kind of pieces catch your eye now? I like. I like slightly kind of extreme looks now. So I really, I, I like the, 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 the deconstructed tailoring look is really good. I think I, you need to be careful with that because you can look like you're wearing, you know, your brother's borrowed suit down, yeah. going to like your first court case or something. So you need to be careful <laughs> with that. Um, but I'm really, I'm really into all the innovations like with brands like Nanushka who are finding alternatives to leather. And I think what people are doing with plastic is a bit worrying for the, yeah. for the environment. I think we need to find a kind of a, a way through. But Nanushka are, are pioneering some kind of modern fabrics that are environmentally friendly yeah. and cruelty free. And, and plus they just look beautiful. Yeah, you've got like Pinatex, which is pineapple. That's quite cool. See, see fabrics like that are very cool. And I yeah. think what's going to be really interesting in fashion next is is kind of intelligent fabrics yes, and, and the innovation that's going into that. And if something can be kind to the planet and look really cool, it's great. I just go back to that thing of just like buy really good quality and keep it forever. Yeah. And as we've talked about, all these looks keep coming back round. Yeah. So keep them in your wardrobe. Are there any pieces from the, uh, the Indie Sleaze fairs that you've still kept? Well, they all fall apart. That's the problem because I was dancing so much. Um, but all the jeans ripped, <laughs> always around the crotch actually. <laughs> But that's from dancing. Um, but yeah, I've got a few good old leather jackets that are good. I've got one with Jack the Lad written on the back that nice. someone made for me. That's like me making good. a comeback? There you go. No? I don't know. It's like a twat. <laughs> <laughs> what one song defines that era for you? Oh, that's such a good question. I think it would be someone like, like probably like Justice or something I was like say, that. We are, I think we are your friends. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was in the, I put that on my Instagram, I was in the Simeon Mobile Disco video for It's the Beat. Um, and I've got really fun memories of just like being in a sweaty, sticky floored pub, dancing around, like jumping about in with overalls. all your mates. <laughs> in overalls. And that, yeah, it's probably We Are Your Friends. That sums up that era to me. God, I know. But I didn't song. have any. <laughs> <laughs> 
But what, what are you listening to now then? Yeah. Joe, you know, weirdly, I today made a playlist with all those old tracks on it. Um, nice. Cuz yeah, I used to DJ a lot and I'm I've been going out and not enjoying the music that I'm hearing, so I'm going to put on a party just so I can play my own music and dance about. Will you have pallets for the uh, stage? Yeah, I'll definitely make pallets for the stage. Will it be in a basement? <laughs> Yeah, all right, it'll be in a basement. <laughs> Will there be bin liners on the wall? There might be bin liners on the wall. <laughs> Will Katy Perry be there? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not after this podcast. I'm dead she's to definitely going to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this isn't uh, probably on our, on our podcast list. So you talked about, like, development of fabrics. Um, what else, what are you looking for from fashion brands in the future, whether it be, like, through digital spaces or, like, inclusivity <laughs> uh, or partnering with creators i suppose yeah i think a, a, a huge one is i don't like it when brands just try and tack on an inclusive campaign for me if you want to make really good decisions about inclusivity you need to make sure that the behind the scenes people are from a diverse background and then you're going to make much better decisions so brands out there make sure that the the back office and people making the decisions reflect your customers make yeah. sure they look like and are from the backgrounds of the people that you want to appeal to. That's the quickest way to make sure that inclusivity works. Don't fake it, actually do it. I'm really into sustainability. I'm, I don't like fast fashion. So I'm looking for, for people to make pieces that last and that are really well made and are environmentally friendly. Why is Danny laughing? Prove it by wearing your Jack the Lad leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Screw you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear it. I'm gonna, put my, I'm gonna put my dodgy leather jacket where my mouth is. Um, and yeah, and just young talent. London's got, I've noticed the Brexit has really screwed up the loads of the stuff in the fashion industry and that really pisses me off because we have the best talent in the world yeah. like all the fashion houses in the world they look to us they look to our streetwear um, they look to our young design talent they look to our music scene so I'm really excited for the next generation of kids coming up and people like the BFC British Fashion Council are really good at supporting that in terms of the digital space I did a really interesting project with Google Pixel recently where we were designing clothes uh, for the metaverse and I designed a really beautiful coat that is like people can buy and they can put it on their avatars and I think one of the way, ways around fast fashion is if all these influencer kids are wanting to buy clothes and wear them for one photo I think the future is going to be that item not really existing and it being a digital piece and that's really exciting and people really want to dress their avatars and and as the metaverse grows and with gaming and things like Fortnite, people are really into that digital fashion space and i think that's where a lot of innovation is going to come from god that sounds so serious and boring but it's no it's true. it's true like our final question is about the metaverse your avatar in the metaverse jack guinness what would it be wearing you can have one outfit forever what would it be do you know what it would be a, a mad fake fur coat yeah? That would be it. It's digital, so of course it'd be fake. Okay, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm so stupid. <laughs> Do you know what, guys? Hold on, it's fake fur, right? Hold on. So it's not real. No, Jack, none of it's real. You absolute muppet. It's digital. Oh, right, okay. Peter yeah. attacking your avatar. <laughs> yeah, Peter are going to throw digital red paint over my digital avatar. I had it coming. It wasn't fake fur. <laughs> So yeah, fake fur and no knickers. <laughs> no, of course no knickers. I'm all fake fur, no knickers. <laughs> fake digital fur, no knickers. No digi nicks. <laughs> digi nicks. Yeah, great indie band name. <laughs> oh, I know that and some pajamas. That's it, and some sexy slippers and a pipe. Wow, done. It's quite a weird character. <laughs> I didn't put any thought into that. It turns out I'm not a very well man. 
<laughs> yeah, one of those ones where they say, don't speak to strangers online, especially those in pajamas with a pipe and a fur yeah, coat. Yeah, that's it. I'm the, I'm the poster child of people you're not supposed to talk to online. <laughs> Perfect. I guess that wraps it up. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Jack. Thanks for having me. This is the weirdest, funniest interview I've ever done in my life. And I think my career's probably over. Thanks, Danny. Well... What are your uh, at socials? Jack Guinness on everything. Twitter, at Jack Guinness. I don't really TikTok. do that. TikTok, I'm on that. Oh, yeah. Did you do it? Yeah. It's, I had, it's weird, the stuff that goes viral on there. Um, it's a real mixed bag. I haven't quite worked out what my vibe is on TikTok yet. So it's actually probably the real me. It's much more like this interview <laughs> than other stuff I do. And then on Instagram, it's at Jack Guinness. And if you want to follow the Queer Bible, it's at Queer Bible. And the Instagram account for that is really cool because we do takeovers by amazing artists. So you, if you hate me, don't worry. It's not me at all. It's, it's other people. <laughs> People that are much more talented and brilliant. <laughs> there we go. Thank you very much. Catch you in a bit. I've had the same jeans on for four days now. I'm gonna go to a disco in the middle of the town. Everybody's dressing up, I'm dressing down.